Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome back, listeners. I'm here for session three with Dr. Ashok Malhotra. And we've been hearing some amazing stories of healing. And today is our third session. So Dr. Malhotra, welcome back. I'm looking forward, and we're looking forward to hearing what else you have to tell us today about your grandpa's stories and their relevance to your life and our life and to the healing process in general. Okay, Bob, thank you so much uh, for bearing with me because I'm a philosopher and I talk a lot. <laughs> okay, so my grandfather had a story for each occasion, but at the same time, we could also have a dialogue with him. And during one of our dialogical sessions, I uh, asked him that where did he learn to be compassionate? And he said, Ashok, you and I and all your brothers and sisters are human beings. And we all have separate hearts. But all these hearts function the same way. Medical science says there are four parts of the heart. And that's a fact. But philosophically, these four parts have to be understood in a unique way. The first part of our heart, now this is what grandfather is saying to us, the first part of our heart beats just for me. It says that take care of yourself, eat right, drink right, sleep, have good friends, emotionally be healthy, spiritually be thankful, and so forth. The third part is beating just for you. But there is a second part. And the second part is for your family. Because you are here on this earth because of your father, mother. They are here because of their father and mother, grandparents, and so forth. You are here because of your ancestors. And you will have your children and so forth. So what you want for yourself, eat, drink, and uh, take care of your health, have comfortable home, have wealth and so forth. You want the same thing for your brother, sister, your parents and so forth. So the second part of your heart beats to tell you what you want for yourself, you also want for your family. But there's a third part to your heart. And that also beats, and it is saying, what you want for yourself, for all the comfort, name, fame, and fortune, which you want for yourself and for your family, you should want it for your country. Because country, your society, where you're brought up, there are parents and grandparents and children and grandchildren, all of them, 
are a human being just like you and your family. But there is a fourth part to your heart. What you want for yourself, what you want for your family, what you want for your country, you want it for all of humanity. The entire humanity is nothing more than the child of this mother earth. So if you want name, fame, fortune for yourself, your family, and your country, you want also to extend it to all humanity. What happens with most of us? We are brought up by our parents, brought up by our family. What happens is our families, our parents, our society teaches us to limit ourselves to ourselves. And that's where selfishness comes in. Be selfish, be com competitive with Bob and with Maddie and with Linda and so on. You want to be better than all of them. Okay, so selfishness is taught to us. And so we limit ourselves to the first part of our heart. Some of us go beyond that heart. We let that compassion overflow, that comfort, that name fame overflows to our family. We want them to be as successful as we are. And some of us will take the next step and we say, I want my whole country to be prosperous. It should make name, fame, and fortune just like me and my family. But we do not teach people how to feel that you belong to human family. Like you, I use the word Ubuntu, and you like that word Ubuntu from Africa. That means I am because of you. That's what the first three parts of the heart are saying. So what we have to do is we have to integrate all these four parts of our heart. Then your spirit of Ubuntu your spirit of, as they say in Hawaii, Ohana, we are a family, world family. We are all in it. We are like the cells on the body of this earth. Seven billion cells. Each one has a task to do and we are all connected. And that's what four parts of your heart are saying. And you have to integrate that. And what will that be? When you can integrate those four parts of the heart, you will become compassionate. You will lovingly help humanity without asking anything in return. And I thought about that. And I'll now go back how that story of Nightingale and Firefly influenced my life. Because Nightingale was just helping her own children. Firefly is helping Nightingale to be with her kids. So I thought about it, that my mother was illiterate, never got any formal education. My father was illiterate. Same thing with my grandmother. The only person who was literate was my grandfather. And he was a wonderful model of inspiration. I got my education 
because of him and I struggled to be successful. Throughout my life, I had to make money to put myself through school. So if education can help me to be successful, why shouldn't I make it possible by using all the four parts of my heart and what I want for myself, and I have it. I should now want it for my family. I brought 20 members of my family to come to the USA, got them education, got them appropriate job, and they are successful contributing to the economy of this country and as well as they are very, very successful in whatever they are doing. So I asked myself, but I come from India. My heart beats for India. And I looked at 10 biggest problems humanity is facing. And the core part of that, all those 10 problems, whether it's global warming or religious conflict or disparity in our economic status and so forth, the core problem is illiteracy. Of all the 10 problems, that's the core problem. And I looked at the whole world, there's 7 billion people. Out of these 7 billion people, 5.5 billion people have education of some kind, from fourth grade to PhD and so forth. They are literate, but 1.5 billion are illiterate. Then I looked at India, my motherland, which gave me birth gave me education up to my master's degree, made me ready to come to America to do my PhD. I am what I am because of India. It made it possible. It created the pathway for me. So I asked myself, let me see how many people are in India. So let's take, for example, 1.2 billion. There are more than that now, 1.3. 1.35 billion people. 1.2 billion people are in India. How many people are educated? 800 million are educated. 400 million are not educated. They are at the, they make up the bulk of illiteracy. Illiterate people. Out of that, how many are female? 160 million plus are female little things all the way, and older females. So they make up like 260 million out of 400 million. So I thought about it. I said, if this problem of illiteracy was faced by Mahatma Gandhi, how will he react to it? What will be his solution? So I started reading, and I found during one of his speeches, in 1930 or 1940, he said, somebody asked him the same question. And he said, I will use this formula. Each one, teach one. That is, if each literate person taught an illiterate person, we can solve the problem of illiteracy in our lifetime. So I looked at India. 800 million people are literate, 400 million are illiterate. The ratio is simple. 
eight to four. Two to one. So if two people are literate, they can teach one. Same thing we can do for the whole world. 5.5 billion people are literate. 1.5 billion are illiterate. Five to one. That's the ratio. Five literate people can. So we formed this foundation called Ninash Foundation, ninash.org. And we said, that will be our slogan. Each one, teach one, will promote literacy in the remote villages of India where it, literacy is a, a prominent factor for overpopulation, for poverty, for health issues and so forth, and for their economic development. So let's go and into these villages. You participated in one of the programs in 1979-1980. At that point, we are thinking about it, but we visited some villages and you found out how your concept of poverty has to be changed. There's nothing like India's poverty in America. You will not see it. Here, when we say somebody is poor, uh, here the person has a car which doesn't work or it just works. It has some kind of refrigerator, it has some kind of heat. In India, when we say somebody is poor, the person is making $1 a day if he's lucky. Okay. Here we say somebody is poor. If they make, you know, 18,000 a year, oh, come on. In India, if you have 18,000 a year, you are a rich man, you're in the middle class. So, so we thought about that. It was brewing in my mind that we are going to start educating. And during those 20 trips to India, taking more than 300 students, we understood what poverty was, what illiteracy was. In 1996, we decided to open our first Indo-International School in a remote village of India, Dunlod, where there were so many female and minority children who were called the untouchable, belonging to that untouchable Dalit class they needed help. So we started a school for 50 female and minority children in one room, which was given to us a generous lady of that village. And 15 students who, who worked with me, one of the students had raised $4,500 by selling t-shirts, pizzas in America. So we used those $4,500 to buy all the material we needed for these 50 children, as well as we hired two teachers and they promised to charge only $1,000 for the whole year as their salary. So we gave, put that money in the bank, they can withdraw one twelfth of 1,000 each month and they have to be compassionate to help these female and minority children. And now that school, as a new building, they are going from the kindergarten to 12th grade. There are 680 children getting 
the best of education, it is our Taj Mahal school. Then we built a couple of other schools, one in Mahapura, which is near the pink city of India. We started with 14 children. Now we have 450 children. Then there was a big earthquake in 2001. We adopted this village of 1,200 people. They never had any school. We started a school for 205 children. Now we have close to 385 children going from kindergarten all the way up to high school. Then we adopted another school with 260 tribal children in Gujarat and Maharashtra. So total number of schools now we have, which are helped by Ninash Foundation and students from Suni Oriyanta are close to six plus one we adopted. We have more than 1,800 children who are getting wonderful education. More than 250 of these children have gone to college and they're doing a miraculous job. One of them is the medical doctor helping the people in Russia during this COVID. One of them, a girl, is uh, an anchor woman in Jaipur. And number of them are business people. They have set up their own educational institutions. Other have gone to secretarial schools, businesses, accountants, chartered accountants. It's amazing. Life has changed for them. And they are bringing all that money back to their villages. And these villages are having new roads. They are having new dispensaries. They are having educational institutes. And the standard of living is improved. This is all through the Ash Foundation. And where did this come from? It's that nightingale and firefly. Um, just like a tiny firefly, with my hand, we can uh, get rid of that illiteracy. Our action is drop in the bucket of literacy. And that's what that firefly story did for me. It's all the contribution of my grandfather. I listened to him. So keep listening and do something. If you want to accomplish anything in life, there are four things you have to remember. You have to have a vision, what you want to do. Like we have the vision of illiteracy to be removed. Then you are articulated, talk to other people, start a dialogue, but that's not enough. Most of us want to do good things. We have good vision, but we don't take an action. Next thing is, touch your heart, have passion compassion. Take the vision, articulation, add the passion to it, and then those three things have to be made concrete. Walk your talk. Do something. Not tomorrow. Start today. That's what Firefly and Nightingale did for me. I can't hear you, Bob. I can't hear you. Something happened. What an inspiring story. Oh, That's, thank you, Bob. It's really great to, to hear how it begins with your grandfather. It goes through you and into the lives of that many people. It's just amazing. 
So listeners, our listeners can contact the Ninosh Foundation through ninosh.org. Is that right? Yeah. Ninosh is spelled N-I-N-A-S-H dot org. And they can contact us. There's a contact information. They can get in touch with me or my wife, Linda. Okay. So we can do that. And it will be wonderful to talk to these people or correspond with them. And in any way, they want to help. Any little help is a lot of help in India. Because $1 is equal to 77 rupees. A teacher's salary, when we started our first school, was $1,000 for the whole year. So any amount their donation will be accepted gratefully. Okay. Wonderful. So thank you so much, Dr. Ashok Malhotra. I encourage everybody listening to contact uh, ninash.org, contribute, and uh, be, a, be a firefly. Exactly. That's <laughs> our role in life, to be a firefly, light up people's path when there is total hopeless darkness surrounding you. Thank okay. you, Dr. Malhotra. You're welcome, Bob. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you, everybody out there listening. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.